Well, good morning. Y'all doing okay? Good, most of you. I'm doing okay, too. Uh, yeah, it is good. I've been a little worried the last few weeks. Um, I don't know, most of you don't know this, and it's a good thing, but three weeks ago, I got done preaching. I got down and looked down, and I had forgotten to button these two buttons on my shirt. And I was just convinced, you know, the way I waved my arms around in the air and everything, that every time I did this, I was flashing you all, you know. And so I went home real quick and watched the sermon online, and by the grace of God, somehow he held everything together. And so, yeah. And then, and then the next week, I came, and I had no pulpit, no lectern. I forgot that. And, uh, and then last week, I totally forgot my entire sermon. I just left it back on the... So I told Laura, she's not here today. She actually went to Kearney to, to spend the weekend with our daughter and, and grandson, but I told her, I said, man, whatever you do, I don't know what's going on, but make sure next week I don't forget my pants or something like that. Because, and so we're all good. You know, I've got my pulpit, I've got my notes, and I'm fully dressed. And so uh, it's all good this morning. But we're going we're gonna to continue uh, this morning in our study through the book of, of Philippians. And uh, we're, we're calling this uh, series Joyride because really uh, that's the major theme of this entire book. And in there, there are little themes kind of that uh, point towards how to have joy in your life. And uh, for the past three weeks, as we've been in chapter two, Paul so far in this section, he's really been honing in on the issue of unity, that when there's unity in the church, that's something that produces joy. And so he's really been talking about unity. And we talked about that really in depth a couple of weeks ago, that Paul talked about it's important in a church that, that the people are like-minded, you know, being of one spirit, being of one purpose, having the same mission, rowing in the same direction. And then last week we talked about what uh, Paul called having uh, the same attitude of Jesus. That, you know, his attitude, if you would sum it all up, you could say that it was all about humility. That being in very nature God, that's who he, who he was, he took that and he set that aside and he took on the nature of a servant. And so the reality is, is if we have that attitude, you know, if, if, uh, if, I'm, if I'm serving you and I'm putting your interests above my own and you're serving me and we're serving each other and we're just all worried about each other and we're just, we're not, you know, so consumed with ourselves and we're just serving each other, then the, the product of that is we're going to have unity in the church and that's going to bring us joy. And so uh, this morning, we're going to continue with this theme of unity, and Paul addresses uh, in this the issue of complaining. This is a, a word for saints with complaints. None of us here, right? Man, if there's ever been a unity killer, this has to be public enemy number one. Uh, this, this, this issue of complaining. Nothing will kill the momentum in a church like complaining. Now, uh, before we dive head into this, I, I do want to say this, just kind of, um, just as kind of a disclaimer, I guess. As we, we talk about complaining in the church this morning, um, please understand this. This is in no way my attempt to try and deal with some sort of church problem, okay? Um, that's not the case at all. You know, it's not like that I found out there's a bunch of complaining going on or I found, found out, you know, there, there are shots being taken at the pastor and so I just decided, well, you know what, I'm going to punch you back with a sermon. Uh, that's, that's not the case at all. Uh, in fact, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but one of the things that both Laura and I greatly appreciate about Connecting Point is the supernatural unity that God has blessed us with. And we talked about this uh, again a couple of weeks ago, that, that unity is something that is given to us by God, but it's our job to maintain it. And, and I, Laura and I, we, we talk about this all the time, and we, we, um, we're very thankful for the way that you as a church are gracious to us and our leadership. And um, I, this, this church is, is more united than probably any church that I've ever been a part of. And so for the most part, I just believe that we're, we're all pretty much rowing the same direction. 
And so, uh, just in case, you know, anybody's tempted to question, I wonder if something happened, or I wonder who he's talking about, I'm not responding to anything, I'm just dealing with this scripture as it comes. Which is really, you know, it's a, that's a good thing, when you do a, a book study and you work your way through an entire book, one of the things that happens for a pastor is it forces you to deal with some topics that normally you may not gravitate towards. And so, uh, this is what we're going to do this morning, this is not a problem for us, at least that I'm aware of. But, but as one pastor said, um, you know, there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with preventative preaching. And so consider this some preventative preaching this morning, uh, again, to help us kind of guard our hearts, okay? And, and the reason that this is so important for us to talk about, this issue of complaining, and especially as it pertains to unity in the church, is that the, the sad reality is that we live in a world, a day and an age, where the landscape is absolutely littered with churches who at one time had great unity, and God was using them to accomplish great things. But you know, uh, somebody, somebody got upset, and uh, they, there was something that they didn't like, and so they started to grumble and complain, and it wasn't dealt with, and it ended up infecting the church, and, and in the end, it wound up destroying the church. And, and it's, a, it's a sad truth that we live in. In fact, I, I sit on a uh, committee for our district, and we, we de we're dealing with some churches on our own district where the reality is this is the issue right here. And, and the Apostle Paul knows the, uh, the danger that can come when people uh, get a spirit of complaint within them. And so that's why he brings up this issue of unity over and over and over again. In fact, in, in every single one of his letters that he wrote to each of the churches, he talks about this issue of unity. He talks about it to the Romans. He talks about it to the Corinthians. He talks about it to the Ephesians. He talks about it to the Galatians, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians. Nearly every letter, he, he addresses this issue of unity. In fact, other than salvation, there is not one single topic that Paul talks about more than the issue of unity in the church. It's that important. Because again, if a church doesn't have unity, then there's no power in ministry. And if there's no power in ministry, then the truth is, what are we really here for? Right? Okay. And so what we know is that one of the things that's happening in the church in Philippi is that this has become somewhat of an issue, or at least it's becoming an issue. It's not to the extent that Paul had to deal with, at the, with, the, uh, with the church in Corinth, but it's still an issue. In fact, if you jump forward into chapter 4, Paul actually calls out two women by name, Euodia and Sintin. And he says to the church, he says, listen, y'all need to jump in and deal with this, and you need to make sure that these two ladies learn how to get along with each other. Man, how would, you, how would you like to be called out by name in a letter from the Apostle Paul publicly? And, uh, and not only that, you know, these two ladies, their names are forever emboldened under the issue of they just couldn't get along with each other. And so Paul is dealing with this. He's not afraid to deal with it because he wants to prevent the bigger issues that develop when there's not unity in the church. So this is what was on the heart of the Apostle Paul as he's writing this. And so in verse 12, he says this. And what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to kind of work through this section verse by verse and unpack it a little bit. But in verse 12, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now I want to pause right here for just a moment because I, I want to give you a very important little uh, Bible study tool. Whenever you're reading through scripture and you stumble across the word therefore, it's important that you stop and make sure you know what came before the therefore. Therefore, it's a, it's a linking word. So whatever comes after it is directly linked to what came before it. And so what, in this case, came before the therefore? The importance of unity in the church, right? It, having an attitude like Jesus, being like-minded, being, being a servant, putting the interests of others above your own. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey guys, when I was with you, y'all were committed to that. 
And as a result, everybody was getting long, min, uh, long. Ministry was happening. Good things were happening in the, in the church. But now that I'm not there, I understand there's this friction that's taking place. It's beginning to develop. And so in my absence, I just want to remind you, you need to go back and, and keep doing what you were doing when I was there. This is what's happening right here. And so he says, in my absence, you know, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when Paul talks about salvation, especially here, he's, he's talking about it in a way that may be a little different than most of us think of when we think of that word uh, salvation. I mean, most people, when they, they hear that word salvation, what they typically, typically think, tend to think of is a moment in time right? You know, that, that moment when I, I prayed that prayer, that, that moment when I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, and he did. And so in that moment, I was saved. That's what most people think of. And that is a part of salvation. But, but when Paul uses that word, he tends to think about it in a much broader sense. In fact, in the book of Romans, he actually uh, talks about it in three phases, now, we're not going to take the time to go to Romans this morning. I'll just summarize it for you. But first of all, he talks about salvation in, in terms of justification. Justification. It, it's that moment experience. It, it's when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And in that moment, you are forgiven. You're justified. It's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. In that moment, he, he covers you. Your sins are washed away. God takes your sins, and the scripture says that he throws them as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't see me anymore because I've been justified. He doesn't see me anymore as a sinner. In fact, Paul talks about, I can't remember if it's in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. He says what happens is, is on the cross, Jesus became my sin. He became your sin, nailed that to the cross. So he took my sin upon himself, but he put his righteousness upon us. And so when God looks at you, you've been justified. Justice has been served. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus died that death. Justice has been served. You've been justified. And all God sees when he looks at you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We've been justified. But, but then Paul talks about sanctification. So, you know, I've, I've given my, my sin to God. He's forgiven me. I've been justified. But then there comes a point in my life where I become aware of the fact that what God really wants is not just my sin. He wants all the rest of me too. And so I, I, I get to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm all in. I'm going to give him everything that I've got. Not just my sin. I'm going to give him all that I am, all my talent, all my abilities, all my hopes, all my dreams, all my treasure, all, all, everything belongs to him. And I'm going to make him, I'm going to step off the throne of my life. I'm going to make him the Lord of my life. And he's going to be the one that calls the shots in my life from this point forward. And, and when we come to that place, that is when the Holy Spirit really has permission to, to work in us to transform us and and he begins the lifelong process of making us more and more and more and more like Jesus and so as Paul talks about salvation it's like I was saved justification I'm being saved sanctification and then one day I will be saved glorification in other words, one day, this life is going to come to an end. And one day, this body, it's going to wear out. This body is going to die, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to be given a new body, a glorified body, and I'm going to step into eternity and be glorified with Christ. Remember, as he was exalted, we'll be exalted. And so we step into this glorified state where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt, no more sin, no more yuck, no more COVID-19, no more political unrest, no more garbage. Glorification. It's when, it's when we finally realize salvation at its fullest extent. This complete. 
This is what Paul is talking about when he uses that word salvation. I, I, I was saved, justification, I'm being saved, sanctification, and I will be saved, glorification. And so Paul says in this instance, he says, continue to work out your salvation. And when he says that, he's not talking about justification, you know, somehow that if I just work hard enough, if I'm good, if I'm good enough, then somehow I can earn salvation. No, the Bible is very clear. We've been given our salvation by a gift of grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. What he's saying is, He's saying when, he's, when he means work it out, what he's saying is continue to remain in this place op where you're open and you're pliable to the Holy Spirit and allow him to do his sanctifying work in your life. But also remember as you struggle to get along with other people, because that's life, right? Sometimes that happens. We have personalities. We've all been given a personality. And sometimes personalities clash. And so as you struggle to get along with other people, particularly those inside the church, he says, remember that one day when you finally experience salvation to its fullest extent, that you all are going to have to live together in heaven someday. When, when, when Paul, you know, the, well, l- let me back up a second. So... The theological term for what happens at the end of time is called uh, 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 um, eschatology. And, 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 and the, the, the term that we use for kind of how the people of God interact with each other is, is called ecclesiology. And so what Paul is saying here in theological terms, he's saying, let your salvific, whatever it is that you believe about salvation, let your salvific eschatology be reflected in your ecclesiology in in, in other words yeah yeah say what is right so in layman's terms all right he's saying this is he saying since you are all citizens of heaven then why not live as the church of eternity now now get along with each other because you're gonna have to live with each other forever and I know there are some people who kind of operate under the idea, you know, well, I was just hoping that heaven's so big that one day when I get there, I'm not going to be able to, I'm just not going to see so-and-so. And, and I'll tell you this, now this is Pastor Doug talking, this is not Paul talking, but I just believe this, that if that's your stance, I just believe God works this way, that right now he is building your room in heaven right next to the room of that so-and-so person. I mean, that's the way it's going to work, right? And so Paul's saying, you got to learn how to live together. You're citizens of heaven. So learn how to be the church of eternity today. This is what he's talking about when he says, work out your salvation. Now, I want you to notice that he says this. He says, and do it with fear and trembling. In in other words, you, you better take what I'm saying seriously, Paul says. I understand that, that how you and I view the church, how we live together in context of the church, how we treat each other is very, very, very important to God. That's what he's saying here. He, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He goes on, he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Paul says, this is good news, guys. Paul says that God's at work in you. It is God who is at work in you. Now, that word that Paul uses here for works is a, is a word that means to energize. That means to equip. So, in other words, what Paul is saying is, he's saying that God, he's at work in you. He's energizing you. He's equipping you. Why? So that he can fulfill his purpose through you. That's why he's working through you. He's energizing you in order to accomplish his purpose and his will. This is good news. God is at work in you. And not only you, we need to remember that this is written to the church. And so this is a plural you. In other words, God is at work through his church in order to accomplish all that he wants to do. He's at work in his church to will and to act. To, to, to want and to do. 
That's the Holy Spirit's work within us. He can change what we want. He can help us to do what we can't do on our own. He's at work in through his church to will and to act, to want and to do things, not according to our purpose, but according to his purpose. Listen, this is one of the reasons why we want to be very careful to make sure that we never get sucked into the enemy's scheme of using us to cause disunity in the church. Because, don't miss this, if God is at work in and through his people, and he is, and if God is at work in and through his church, and he is, in order to, to carry out his purpose, and we start complaining about it, you know, because the church is headed this way and they're doing this and I want them to head this way and do that. Guess who you're really complaining against? It's not the pastor. It's not the ministry leaders. It's not the church board. According to Paul, you're actually working against God because it is God who wills and acts. It is God who works through his church to accomplish his purpose. That's why this is such a big deal. This is why Paul says that there has to be some fear and trembling in this. See, Paul, is, he's setting us up. He's setting us up. We're going to get to it in just a minute. But, but we have to remember for us, I, I think it's important for us. Let's, let's bring it down to our context, okay? We need to remember that for us, this church, this, this church, Connecting Point Church of the Nazarene, it was not the idea of just some person. It wasn't just the idea of some group of people. You know, from the time back in 1913 when that first tent was pitched down at 15th and N Street, that didn't happen just because a bunch of people were bored and they said, yeah, we don't have anything else to do, let's go start a church. No, that was God's idea. And then when that first church on E Street was established in 1914 or 27 years later when it moved to 33rd and C and then in the early 70s when they made the move here. You see, throughout the 107 years of this church's existence, it's not been simply the result of a bunch of creative people who didn't have anything better to do so they said, let's go build a church. No, it was God who has been working to will and to act according to his purpose we need to remember this and i think we need to remember that god not only has been at work but he's still at work and he's going to continue to be at work he, he's at work in you it's god who is working in this place it's god who's building the church it's god who's energizing the church it's god who's drawing people to the church it's god who is pulling the church into the future equipping us to act and to will according to his good purpose. What, 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 what is his purpose? To connect disconnected people to him. You know how you measure if a church is willing and acting, thinking and doing God's purpose? It's, it's simple, really. Just look at how many people are giving their lives to him. If that's his mission... If that's his purpose, you don't measure it, you know, by things that sometimes we measure it, by the size of the building or, uh, the, you know, the, the style of the music or the color of the carpet or, uh, you know, pews versus chairs or all the things that church people get involved in arguing over. All of the, those, that stuff is nothing. What matters is you measure whether God is at work in a church to will and to act, and if the people are submissive to allowing him to will and to act by our people coming to know him. But by the way, I, I was looking this past week and just curious, you know, are we, are we in that place? Because I think we have to evaluate that every once in a while. And I look back, and in the, the first hundred years of ministry at Connecting Point Church, uh, the church saw 792 people give their lives to Jesus Christ in that hundred-year period. Yay, God. <laughs> yeah, well, that's worth clapping for. Carmen, lead us. Yeah. 
792 souls. The Bible says that when one of them do that, there's a party in heaven. So we ought to clap. And I mean, if there's anything we clap about, we ought to clap about the fact that somebody moved from a place of, of not knowing Jesus to coming into a place of relationship with Jesus. And so we celebrate that. I was thinking, though, you know, we tend sometimes to look back to the good old days. I do it. You know, think, man, I wish things the way that, or were the way that they were, you know, when we were in the heyday of ministry. I look back, and in the past five years, we've seen 205 people come to know Jesus. Yeah. Now, listen, I, I, I've been here for five years. And so don't be tempted to say, well, he's tooting his own horn, because what I want you to understand is I didn't save one of them. It's God who wills and acts according to his good purpose. And so, so it's, it, it's not an issue of bragging. It's an issue of celebrating because it reminds us God is at work. <laughs> He's still working. He's still moving. He's still doing something. And I believe that our best days are ahead. They're not behind us. And so we need to be very careful that we, 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 we don't stand uh, in the way of what God is doing because of something that we want. That in the end, even if we got what we want, it wouldn't lead one more pe person to know Jesus. And, and listen, as I preach this, I, I, I have to be honest with you because um, most of the time when I preach, I'm not, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, honestly, I, I struggled with this message probably more than any other message I've ever preached in my life. And, and the reason why is because I understand how easy it would be for someone to think, well, this is kind of a self-serving sermon, isn't it? I mean, what are you trying to do? Set yourself up where, you know, as the pastor of the church, you're the lone hearer of God and the rest of us can't even disagree ever or say anything. And, and to that, I would just say a couple of things. First of all, hopefully after five years, you all know me by now and you know my heart. And I don't for one second believe that this is my church. This is God's church. And when I, when I think of my role, my job is to be the lead follower. <laughs> That's my job. To, to be the lead follower and then encourage y'all, come on, let's follow after whatever God is doing, wherever he's leading, whatever's on his heart, let's just chase after him and see where it leads. And um, the good news is, is I don't do that alone. Because um, we have a church board. We, we have men and women who you put in place to provide leadership and direction for the church. And so we have this structure of leadership in place where we together prayerfully seek the heart of God. And we, we pursue in the direction that he's leading. And, and we're just all after, where, God, where do you want to lead us? And we have a structure where we just do that together. And, and so I, I want to just say that to you. But number two... Um, the, the second way I would respond to this is I want to remind you, I don't write this stuff. I mean, I just pull it right out of the Bible. I mean, preaching is pretty easy. Just take what the Bible says and tell it to other people. And, and so I don't, I don't write this stuff. I just preach it. So if anybody wants to be offended, be offended at Paul. Okay? Paul says, remember, it's God who is leading. It's God who is working. And so if you're fighting against the church where, where God is fulfilling his will and his purpose, then we need to remember who we're really fighting against. This is the backdrop that Paul gives. Again, he's setting us up for where he wants to go. And with that in mind, we're going to jump right into verse 14 because he closes this section by giving some very practical instruction. In verse 14, he says, So... Because God's at work, because of all, this, all that God is doing here, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, the word that Paul uses here for everything is a word that actually means everything. <laughs> it, it means whether you're serving in the church or whether you're serving outside the church. 
whether you're, you're talking about what's going on inside the church, you know, what you say about the church, or what's going on in life outside of the church. Paul says, do everything without complaining. In other words, complaining should never be a part of the believer's vernacular. Don't ever complain. Don't, don't complain about your job. Don't complain about your marriage. Don't complain about your kids. Don't complain about your neighbor. Don't complain about your pastor. Don't complain about your pastor. Don't complain about your... Don't complain about your church. Don't complain, Paul says, about anything. Why? Because complaining is contagious. I mean, you talk about a pandemic, man. Com- complaining is contagious. You, you think about it. You start complaining about your house, and before long, your wife is complaining about your house. And then your kids start complaining about your house. And all of a sudden, nobody's happy because we're living in this crappy house, you know? That's how complaining works. And when it's allowed, unchecked, especially inside the church, the result is a long, slow, painful, ineffective, black eye given to Jesus death I mean maybe you know you have a complaint about the church and and come on we 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 talked about this a couple of weeks ago you're never going to find a church where you 100% agree with everything you're you're never going to find a church like that because perfect churches don't exist because they're filled with imperfect people and perfect perfect churches don't exist because they're all pastored by imperfect pastors and so there's no perfect churches because there aren't any perfect people and so what we're looking for is most things what we're looking for is the big things. It's kind of like a marriage. There's no perfect marriage. It's, we, we enter into this marriage where, man, it's, it's mostly, I love most of the stuff and the rest I'm willing to deal with. You know, I'll just shut, up, shut one eye to it. And this is the way that we operate in the church. But, but let's just say, you know, there's something that you don't like. Let me just tell you this. It is not your job to tell everybody. That's, that's not your job. Some people see that as their spiritual gift, is to, to find the cloud in every silver lining and make sure everybody knows there's a cloud in the silver lining. It's not your job, because when that happens is, is you know, you tell somebody, and, and let, let, let's say, for instance, you, you know, you don't like the fact that they painted the walls of the platform black. Nobody's told me this, so if that's you, I just, the Holy Spirit just dropped it in my spirit. No. Let's just say you don't like that, you know, and so you go to somebody and go, you know what, I don't really like the fact that they painted the walls of the platform black. I mean, who paints the walls of a platform black? Black is the devil's color, so why in the world would they do that in a church? And that person goes, well, you know, I'd never even thought of that before, but now that you say it, I don't think I like it either. And so they go to somebody else and they say, you know, me and so-and-so, we were talking and we don't like the fact that they did that. And before, you know, it's pandemic, man, it begins to spread, and, and by the way, I, I've learned this, that, you know, that um, when you have, um, uh, when, 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 when everybody disagrees, it's really two people, and when three people disagree, then, man, it's a worldwide deal, you know, because I've had people come before as a pastor and say, well, pastor, everybody's upset about this, and I'm like, who's everybody? Well, everybody. Well, name them. Who's everybody? Well, my husband. I'm like, okay, I get it. You, your husband, and your dog don't like it. That's everybody, Right? But this is the way that it works, and it totally disrupts a church because when that happens, when you begin that, it just begins to spread as a pandemic, and, and it just, it, what happens is, it's like, I like most of the stuff, you know, I like the fact that people are getting saved, and I like the fact that the Bible's preached, and I like my friends that are at the church, but instead of focusing on those things, we focus on the one thing that we don't like. And Paul is saying, don't do that. He's saying, because since it's God who is working in the church, it's not, Paul says, it's not my idea, it's not the elder's idea, we're just following God. It is God who is working, so be very, very careful to do everything without grumbling or complaining. Because again, when we we grumble and complain, listen, this is for the believers, okay? As believers, when we 
grumble and complain about any aspect of our lives. We need to understand who we're really grumbling against is God. You're not grumbling against your house. You're not grumbling against your spouse. You're not grumbling against your job. You're not grumbling about anything else. What you're complaining about is the way that God is currently at work in your life. Because the Bible says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And so if God is ordering your steps, if God is at work in your life, because God, he, he's working to will and to act according to his good purpose, and so what you're saying when you complain is, God, I don't really like the way that you're working. Now, come on, maybe you're not where you want to be. But do we have faith that if God is working, then, you know, Paul says that he who began a good work in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. So he's not done with you. He's not done with your marriage. He's not done with your relationships. He's certainly not done with the church. Paul goes on, and he unpacks this a little bit more in verse 15. He says, do everything without complaining so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Now, we read this and we tend to just kind of blow past it, but for Paul, for these first century readers of Paul, they would have known that when Paul talks about children of God in a wicked and depraved generation, that he was pointing back to one of the most famous stories in all of the Old Testament. The story unfolds in the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we're not going to take time to read it because it's long, and everybody says, yay, God, I'm glad we're not going to read all three of those books. But um, for those who may not be familiar with the story, I just want to kind of set the stage. So the story is the, the, the people of God have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God raises up this guy named Moses, and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and I want you to tell him, go and set my people free. And so Moses does, and Pharaoh says, no. I mean, Pharaoh sees himself as God. And, and, and uh, you know, in those days, that the strength of your God was weighed by your ability to conquer other people. And so Pharaoh, he, these guys are slaves. Their God must be weak. I'm God. We rule over them. So why would I listen to you? And so what God does is he sends these 10 disastrous plagues upon the people. And, and finally, Pharaoh says at the end of these plagues, the end one is that the firstborn of all the Egyptians, the angel of death comes and the firstborn is killed. And Pharaoh, he's finally had it. He says, go, take your people, get them out of here. And so Moses leads the people across the Red, uh, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. And if you remember the story, if you know the story, Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his army out to pursue the children of Israel. And they find themselves trapped between the armies of Egypt and the shores of the Red Sea. And it's in this moment, boom, God does this miracle. The Red Sea's part, Charlton Heston lifts up it. No, Moses lifts up his, his staff and the seas part and the children of Israel go across on dry land. The Egyptians follow them and the waters come back and, and drowned all of the Egyptians. And so the, 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 the children of Israel, man, they're excited. They're celebrating. They're throwing this party, man. We're going to the promised land. God's hand is on us. And three days later, guess what? No party, they're complaining. We don't have any water, so God gives them water. Then we don't have any food, and so God gives them food. Then we don't like the food that God gave us, so God gives them a different kind of food. And, and then they, they complain about their enemies. They complain about where they're at. They complain about being in the desert. They complain about their leadership. They complain, 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 and complain. Finally to the point that Moses, he's had it up to here. And in Exodus chapter 17, verse 4, in frustration, Moses cries out to God and he says, what am I to do with these people? <laughs> I mean, they're about to stone me. Which, by the way, is typically what happens when people are personally frustrated with God. They tend to look for somebody else to blame. And most often, it's the leader, whoever that leader is, because it's way easier to blame somebody else than to take responsibility themselves. This is what the children of Israel do. In fact, one time Moses, he's walking through the camp and there's something like two million people in the camp and it says that they're all standing at the door of their tent crying and complaining. 
in Moses' presence. You know, like, why did you bring us out here in the desert? You might as well have just killed us. It was so much better back in Egypt. Well, God hears all of this, and in Numbers chapter 11, it says, and the people complained. See, they thought they were complaining to Moses. They, they thought they were complaining to each other. But it says, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them. First Corinthians, Paul points back to this, and he says, don't grumble as some of them did. Who some of them? These people, the children of Israel in the desert. Don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. In verse 11, he says, these things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. In other words, what Paul wants you and I to understand is that it's very serious when we grumble. It's a serious thing to complain in the eyes of God. Now, I know some people may be thinking, well, then what do we do? I mean, what do we do if there's a, something that's not right in the church? Listen, if there's anything that ever goes on that's illegal, immoral, unbiblical, we need to say something and deal with it. Okay? But that's not what this is talking about. For, for, for all of the rest, here's the way we keep a concern from becoming grumbling or complaining. Instead of talking about it horizontally, what about we just do it vertically? I mean, instead of telling everybody else, how about we just go and talk to Jesus about it? You know, um, why, why don't we just go and say, Jesus, this is, this is, what, this is what's going on, and this is, this is, I have a problem with this, and what I really need you to help me do is, number one, is this really a problem that I should be as concerned as I really am about, or should I just let it go? See, I'm convinced that if we would actually talk to Jesus about these things, he'd tell us what to do. Our problem is we don't do that first. We have a tendency to go to talk some, to somebody else. So talk to Jesus about it. Well, what if Jesus says, yeah, this is a problem. We'll keep talking vertically. vertically. Instead of talking to a bunch of people, go to the leadership of the church. Come to me. Say, Pastor, you know, I love the church. My heart is for the church, and, and, and I, I really want what's best for the church. I want to see people come to know Jesus, but I have this concern, and here it is. And do it in a spirit of humility. I'm telling you, why would we not want what's best for the church? But we got to handle things vertically instead of horizontally. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And then real quick, he gives us a couple reasons why. He says, first of all, the reason why is do it for your own sake. Just do it for your own sake. Don't grumble and complain for your own sake. Look at, look at verse 15. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure. Hey, don't forget, you're in the process of becoming and, and, and God is at work in you, both to will and to act according to his good purpose. So God is working, you're in process, you're, you know, you're not what you used to be, but praise God, you're still not what you're going to be, because God is still at work in you. And listen, what happens is, is when you get sucked in to complaining, what happens is that hinders God working in your own life. The idea is, Paul says, it hinders you from becoming pure, from becoming blameless. And the sad but honest truth is that, 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 that you know, the church, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church and the church of God, the church is filled with people who invited Jesus into their lives 40 years ago, and the truth is, they're not any more mature today than they were the moment they invited Jesus into their lives. And the reason why, or at least one of the reasons why for some of them, is because they complain all of the time. 
They, they think their spiritual gift is criticism. And again, they see the cloud and every silver lining and they want to make sure that everybody else sees it too. And what happens is the sad result when you're so focused on what's wrong is that you can't see all that's right. You become cynical and you harden your heart and you stop growing. And so Paul says, be careful, don't complain, because you want God to work in your own heart and in your own life. He goes on, and he says, don't just do everything without complaining for your own sake, but he says also, do it for the sake of everybody else. <laughs> I mean, do it for the sake of others. Real quick, go back to verse 15. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In other words, as a, as a, as a child of God, your life ought to look way different than the world around you. To the point where you just kind of stick out, you know, you just shine like a star. So when everybody else is complaining about the pandemic, you know, it's, it's stupid that we have to wear a mask or it's, you're stupid because you don't wear a mask. Or when everybody else is complaining about what's going on politically, you know, those stupid Democrats are going to ruin our country or those stupid Republicans, they're destroying everything. That's not you. You're, you're too busy walking in purity. You're, you're holding on to the word of life, Paul says, because you look at the world differently. You look different than the world. And it says you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In other words, by not complaining, it increases the ability for you to witness to other people as they watch you live your life. Because people see something different in you. Have you, have you ever been around somebody who just complains all the time? Don't raise your hand and don't look at anybody, please. If you've ever been around somebody who just complains all the time, you know, eventually you just get tired of it, don't you? I mean, you, 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 know, you just get tired when people are always complaining about this and complaining about that and complaining about this. And every time you go around them, you know they're going to have some complaint. You get tired. Guess what? Your friends who don't know Jesus get tired of it too. And if you're constantly grumbling, you know, you're grumbling about your husband, you're grumbling about your kids, you're grumbling about your job, you're grumbling about the government, you're grumbling about what you don't have, you're grumbling about the way that God is working in your life, there is nothing attractive about that. I mean, why would any of your friends or your family who don't know Jesus want what you have because you're no more satisfied than they are without Jesus? And, and parents, I want to just say this as a word to parents. We're going to wrap this up, but parents, you need to be especially careful of this, especially when it comes to grumbling about the church around your kids. Because listen, if you, if you tear down the church, you know, if you're always saying negative things about the church or the pastor or the children's pastor or the youth pastor, if you're always saying negative things about what the church is doing around your kids, man, I'm telling you that, that, that complaining is contagious. And there's going to come a day when, when your kids leave home and they're going to have to make their own spiritual decisions and, you know, am I going to be involved in the church or am I not going to be involved in the church? Listen, why would they want to when all they heard in their home was all the negative stuff about the church? And there's going to come a day in their own life where they really need some spiritual guidance. And why would they go to the very people that you've just spent all these years talking negatively about? This is why this is such a serious thing. But the good news is this. When they hear you instead of grumbling, when they hear you praising God, man, they know life isn't perfect. 
But instead of grumbling when they hear you praising God, instead of grumbling when they hear positive things coming out of your mouth, you, you know, we, we haven't got there yet, but we're doing what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, you know, we're, we're what, whatever's pure, whatever's good, whatever's honorable, whatever's lovely, whatever's praiseworthy, these are the things we're going to think about. We're going to focus on these things. Listen, life is not perfect. I, I'm not saying that this morning. You, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you know, put on your rose-colored glasses and just pretend that it's all perfect. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, I believe that what Paul is saying is that as children of God, we can believe that he's working and we can trust him. He's still at work. He's still at work. And so, so I'm done, okay? I don't know what this speaks to you. Hopefully, take it as preventative measures hopefully hopefully it encourages you man i want to weigh what comes out of my life of my mouth i want to weigh what's in my heart and i want to make sure am i am i speaking more words that are critical about anything or am i speaking about the things that are praiseworthy and good and lovely and honorable and those things and maybe maybe that's what we need to do this morning but i want to pray with you before i send you out and father i want to thank you this morning for the fact that you love us and that you are at work, just a reminder this morning that you're at work, not only in our own lives, helping us to become what you designed us to be. And we know that what you designed us to be are images of Christ. We're, we're, to, we're, we're Christians, little Christ that are supposed to be evident in the world, pointing to your glory and your splendor and your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And we understand that there is a spirit of criticism Sometimes it tries to, 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 to get in and tries to drive us to a point where we, all of those things pointing to you, it prevents people from seeing how good you are. And God, we don't want to fall in that place. I don't want to. I pray as, as a pastor, as a leader, that you would always challenge me to speak words that are edifying and build people up and never speak words that tear anybody down. And God, we just believe that you have great plans for Connecting Point Church. That as you continue to work, Father, we thank you for the 107-year history. Wow, 107 years. History of seeing how you've worked through your people. Father, we don't believe that you're done yet. And we know that in order to be launched into the future, that we're going to have to do it together, united, like-minded. And so I pray, Father, that you would take that supernatural unity that you've blessed us with and you would somehow just multiply that over and over and over again. And the end result of that would be that we see thousands of lives that are impacted for the kingdom. We know that's your mission. And so, Lord, use us however you see fit. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.